You're listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Welcome to Decidedly. We're all about defeating bad decision making. Today, I've got a good one. We talked to Jimmy Burgess. I love talking to Jimmy. He is a leader in real estate in South Walton County, Florida. He has a fantastic knowledge base, not only in real estate, but what makes him so much more exciting to talk to is he has so much wisdom, so much insight on decision-making for life, not just real estate. I mean, this guy really built an empire, lost it, and built it back. This guy went from a dead-end job that he hated to making millions of dollars a year, to landing himself in federal bankruptcy court and building it all back even better. Not just financially successful, he has a fantastic family, fantastic wife and kids, and he has lots of great insight on that. So for those of you who don't know Jimmy, he's a host of the Real Estate Sales Podcast, a contributing writer for Entrepreneur, Huffington Post, and Inman News. He's an author of the book, What Just Happened, How to Bounce Back in Life So You Can Do More, Have More, Be More. I love talking to Jimmy today. You're going to learn so much about those choices that he had to make, those pivotal moments in his life. I think you're going to learn something. So check it out. back to when you decided, you know, the, the, the story in your book, how you, you kind of got knocked down pretty hard and how you sort of came up from that and what your thought processes were as you were going through that time. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, Sean, I would say everybody that is going to live a life um, is going to have those times when you just get knocked down and you just aren't sure, well, what's next? What do I do? You know, and the natural thing to do initially is to just sit in it, um, you know, and just try to figure out, okay, uh, you know, first off, there it's it's there's literally a process. I mean, there's the anger about everything that everybody's doing around you um, that you feel is being done to you. There's this um, little bit of bitterness and this, um, you know, anger that in reality for me, um, it all began to change when I finally realized, wait a minute, you know, I can't control what other people do. But what I can control is how I react to it. And ultimately, I realized I had one point finger pointing at everybody else and I had four pointing back at myself where the real problem was. Um, and so as I began to take some ownership of the things that I had done and things that I was that I could control, all of a sudden I got to a place where all of a sudden it just basically it began to get real for me. Um, when I had started, a lot of the successes I had had in my life had come from these times when I would really just deep dive into personal development. I mean, you know, these are some of the things that I think a lot of us go through where I'd had these things that have been said for so long in my life. And, and you know, I mean, I'm old school. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about like Zig Ziglar talking about, you know, that if you just help enough other people get what they want, you can have everything you want. I mean, those basic principles, you know. So it was one of these, it was this particular day, whereas I'd gone through this financial just avalanche. You know, you go from making a million dollars a year to literally getting ready to sit in bankruptcy court with $500 left to my name. Um, and I'm sitting there and I'm in this, in my office and it was like the phone would ring. And it was one of these times where I just knew that phone was probably a bill collector that I didn't have an answer for, to be honest. I was trying, you know, I just, it, just been in this motion and I just literally got into my car. Um, and just as I was driving around, I happened to have 
the old school CD sitting in there, and it was Les Brown. This I don't know if you've heard of Les Brown. He's got this booming, you know, voice and uh, and a motivational speaker and everything. And he literally the sentence that came out that just hit my soul was he said, "Your struggle has not come to stay; it's come to pass." And I've probably heard him say that, man, you know, probably multiple times in my life. But for some reason, it just echoed in my soul that, listen, that that, that your future is better than your past, that the struggle you've been going through, the second that I turned this over and quit making it about me and started understanding that, that my ability to get up and fight back, my ability to overcome these obstacles, my kids were watching. And it wasn't just my kids. It's everybody that I was going to come into. And so for me, having a spiritual foundation for me, it was like, okay, well, listen, every single time I've had a test, it's become a testimony. Every single time that I've had a struggle and that I've walked on the other side of it, really, in reality, my purpose was is to help those that are going to go through the same struggle. For me, there was that moment. It was literally a moment. I mean, I could go back. I could literally get in a car and sit in that very spot. You know what I mean? I remember it. And it was a, it was a time when I finally just said, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm going to do what I can do to begin to walk out of this. And that's what led to the journey of finding out what did other people do? And that's where really everything started for me. I love that. The difference between high achievers and people that, that never meet their potential is we've all had that rock bottom in our life, but some of us fall into the temptation to sit and wallow in it. I think all of us fall into the temptation to sit and wallow in it. It's just how long? That's how long it. are you going to wallow in it? And, and Sanger, that's the biggest thing. I think I think there's always I, I I had somebody tell me one time, if you'll treat people like they're like they're struggling or they're going through something very difficult, you're gonna be right about 90% of the time. Listen, we all got stuff. I mean, listen, in reality, we're all, if we're really honest, we've all got some area of our life that we're we're trying to overcome something. You know, there's headwinds we're facing. And so, like you said, it's not a matter of if, it's how. How are you gonna handle those? What are you gonna do? And and that was what the fire really was for me. The whole reason I wrote the book wasn't about writing this book for any other reason than I wanted my kids and my grandkids and the legacy to have where somebody could look back and say, when they got hit, what did he do? What was it that happened? And so that's kind of where that all led um, led to writing the book for me. Tell a little bit about what happened. Yeah, I, w- I grew up in real estate. Uh, my parents, actually, when they got divorced, my mom and my stepfather owned a real estate company in Walton County um, down here. And then my dad, who moved to Okaloosa County, Fort Walton Beach, he started and had a real estate company there. So literally, I mean, that's all I ever knew. I mean, I went off to college. I started work at Merrill Lynch as a, as a broker. I had a town for about a year, and I was like, you know what? I don't know if this is for me. I just, you know, all I really knew was real estate. And so I ended up going back into the family business with real estate. Um, and, you know, we, we had some successes. Uh, my brother came in. He and I worked together. It was tremendous. Um, and then we had this time where I just I just was doing so much, and our price point in Walton County at that time was so low that I, I burned out. So I took this job at this uh, at this bank to basically go um, help as a commercial lender. I knew a lot of developers. I knew a lot of builders. I knew the people that would be looking for those loans. This was 2001, 2002 timeframe. As, as the market began to take off back up, well, I had all this time there when I was at the bank, and I knew all these people, and all of a sudden, same kind of principles. I was sitting there looking, okay, well, who needs what? Well, these, they, I, I knew the builders needed financing. I knew the developers needed someone that could understand what they were doing 
to help them package the financing in a way they could get financing to do their developments. The market starts taking off. And then all of a sudden I looked around and I said, well, wait a minute, you know, the whole principle, you know, I was just like, I, 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 I'd never really been an employee of anybody. This was the first time. I mean, literally, I mean, from, I, mean, I just never did. And so all of a sudden I'm like, we're taking Lincoln's birthday off at this bank. I never, I didn't even know there was a holiday for that. You know? <laughs> so all of a sudden I'm working and I'm in this environment. My bank portfolio is just growing the loans I'm making to a tune of about 40% of the growth for the bank. And so I went to the guy who was the CEO. I'm about nine months into this. I was like, hey, man, how about a little raise here? You know, help me out. You know, we've got to be friends. And he's like, he's like, listen, Jimmy, um, at the end of the year, we do these, we do raises at the end of the year. I got to tell you, though, you're doing an amazing job. Trust me, the bank's going to take care of you. First off, let me say this. If you've ever had an employer say, we're going to take care of you, fire alarm should go off. You know what I mean? So we get to the end of the year, I go in there and they, they said, we've never given a raise this big. And I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. And then they say, we're raising you 5%. And I was sitting there and I ran the numbers in my head and I was like, oh my gosh, I'd never been in a place where um, somebody else determined what I was worth. I'd always been on commission or I'd been in sales or whatever it was. And so I walked out of that office and I was like, you know what? Um, I just, you know, I, I just don't know that this is for me. And um, so I literally, that's when I really took that deep dive into, okay, how do I develop myself? Again, going back, same thing. Um, it was one of those situations I heard in my head, you know, if you'll just help enough other people get what they want, you can have everything you want. So I started looking around, what do my, what do these builders I'm working with need? Well, they need more lots. What do these developers need? Well, they need builders that can come in earlier so they don't have to take as much financing. And so all of a sudden I began to put these two people together and literally within a month of making that decision that I got to do something else, I still have a real estate license. Um, but on the weekend, I actually went out to a development that the bank had turned down and I put builders in with that developer and they let me pre-sell those lots. And all of a sudden I was going to make more on that one sale in 45 days to those builders than I was going to make in the whole year over at the bank. And I was like, yeah, I think it's time for me to get back in. This, you know? <laughs> I think I made a good decision. Yeah, I, I, so I make that transition. You got to understand now the market. You, there are times when the market makes you look better than you are. This was one of those cases. As the market's beginning to take off, 2003 timeframe, um, all of a sudden within a year, what had been my annual salary at the bank was now my monthly salary. Within two years, all of a sudden I'm clipping along, making about every two weeks what I was. And, and you got to understand when things happen fast, sometimes what can happen is, is you lose focus on who you are. Uh, you know what I mean? You, you forget where the blessings coming from, you realize that the market's making you look better. So here I am, got all these things going. I began to forget about, hey, if I'll just help enough other people and started almost getting this attitude of like, I'm going to get mine, if you understand what I'm saying. I was like, what's in this for me? I'm helping all these people. Why am I, you know, it just, it, it, I lost my calibration. And let me just say this, when things go up fast, typically they can come down even faster. And that's what happened for those of us that went through 2005 and six in our area. Again, I go through this time where I literally come into a place where I am um, making over a million dollars, generational wealth, you know, there for, for a while to all of a sudden, three years later, I'm sitting in bankruptcy court with $500 to my name. And um, through that time, it doesn't happen overnight. You know what I mean? So through that downturn, all these things happen. And let me just say this. I think anybody that's ever been through a financial struggle or is in one right now, they can understand this. Typically, when you have a financial struggle, it doesn't just affect your finances. It affects your relationships, my relationship with my spouse, with my wife. It affects my relationship with my kids because I'm doing everything in my power to fix everything. It, it affects my relationships with people I work with. It affects my physically. You know, I ended up at 35 years old having this 
growth on my throat that I just had, you know, and, and I lose my voice for three months. Listen, man, all I got is my voice. You know what I mean? That's, that's my, that's talking to people and helping people. That's, that's all I got. You know, I don't have a hand. I'm not going to go build a house. That's just not what I do. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're not gonna, you're not a guitar player or something, right? Yeah, you, exactly. You, no, and I'm a kid. You sure don't want me to sing, you know? Yeah. So yeah. So as this goes through this, all of a sudden you go through this struggle and this downturn, and um, and it just it shocks your system. And and in reality, what happened for me was is that that literally that um, that financial bankruptcy. In reality, to be perfectly frank, it was probably almost an outward expression of what was going on internally. I was just literally so into myself and things and had lost focus on the things that I was created to do. And so finally, when I got that shift, when I began to realize, okay, well, look, it's, it, this isn't about you. That's when everything began to change. And it didn't take long because I just, I became a student. Historically speaking, there are patterns to everything. I became a student of what is it that people did to come out of struggles. And as I began to study that, I began to see these patterns. And then when I finally made the decision, I began to start walking myself out of those things. All of a sudden, things began to change, literally within a year. You know, all of a sudden, I, I, my marriage is better than it's ever been. I mean, you know, that's the thing is I, through all of this, there was one day I was sick. I was in the bed. My wife came in, and she sits my medicine down by the bed. And um, all the medicine I had on, I was just literally bedridden there for a little while. And, um, and she just smiled at me. Man, she didn't even say anything. Um, Sean, like, I mean, she just literally just put the medicine down there and just smiled at me. And it was almost like it was like those, you see those pop-up things, you know what I'm talking about, where they boop and it just pops up. It was literally like I had one of those pop-ups, and it was like she meant it. I mean, she meant it when she said for better, for worse. She meant it when she said in richness, you know, in, in good health and bad, in richer and poor. She actually, she literally meant it. And she deserves better than what you've been given her. And so all of a sudden now, I begin to be focused on, okay, how can I be the best husband? Uh, my kids, I came, they came home one day while I'm coming back there, same kind of thing. They walk in, I hear them come in the door. I'm laid in bed. They come running back to my room. They came in and they laid in the bed, man, and they're sick dad. And I'm just, I got one on each shoulder. And, and, and I'm just laughing and hearing about their day. And it was one of those moments where all of a sudden everything began to come into focus. And I was like, I was like, man, this is the greatest gift you got, man. What are you worried about the rest of that stuff? Be the father you were created to be. Be the example. And, and all of a sudden, as that passion became about my wife, about my kids, about my friends, the people that I was had influence over, all of a sudden now that there was that fire that came into me, not about revenge. It was a fire to just to come back in a way that gave me a story that people could relate to that would inspire them. And so those are some of the things that as we went through all of this, as we came out the other side, all of a sudden, as long as I stay focused on helping other people, I've never, you can't outgive people. I've never, ever been harmed by giving too much. I, I just, I mean, I, you know, can you give too much? I'm sure you can. I'm talking, I'm not talking about financially. I'm talking about feeding into people. I'm talking about using the influence that we've all been given to help others move their career along, to help others have a better marriage, whatever it is. Every single time I've given, I've gotten way more back. Um, that's a long answer to your question, but hopefully that helps. No, but, it, you know, it, it, it's interesting because I think a lot of times our, our physicality is a manifestation of what's happening inside, right? And so if you 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 can't go working from 3 o'clock in the morning to 11 o'clock at night without some sort of illness showing up, right? I mean, it, it's just like a, an athlete. You've got, you, you, can't, you can't work your body that hard forever without getting injured. And it, and it sounds like what 
you know, the the medical issue that knocked you on your tail uh, sounds like it was a manifestation of what was going on internally that you just you just couldn't do that forever. And maybe that was uh, your body or God or something putting that on you to say, I'm going to turn your voice off for a bit, Jimmy, and I'll turn it back on later. But for right now, I'm going to turn it off and you're going to take a break and be able to reflect on not only this transformational moment that's going to cause you to rethink where you are and, and give you the impetus to move forward, but the, the steps along the way. You can't just decide, I'm going to change. You've got to figure out what are those things I've got to change. And to be able to do that, you have to know who you are now. In other words, what am I changing? Right? So walk, walk me through a little bit about what did you decide to do? Or what, was, what were the decision-making processes that you went through or the decisions you felt like were important that you made that were really helpful in changing that downward trajectory to an upward trajectory? Yeah, there were so many. And, Sean, I, I want to echo what you just said. I mean, literally for me, um, I think you're absolutely right. There's a lot of symbolism to the fact that um, you don't listen if you're always talking. And the, the second that my voice was taken away, I began to hear my wife. I began to hear my children. I began to hear the people I worked with. I began to hear my creator. You know, I mean, there was so many, there's so much symbolism there. And, you know, the opposite of being, um, uh, you know, disease, if you break down what it means, it is actually, the, the, the definition is um, without ease. You know, I mean, it is literally like all that stress and everything, that's what causes disease. You know, it's your body not being at ease. And so, then I had to put this plan together. So what does this look like? You know, and the first thing for me was I, I had to take ownership of what I had done and the, the mistakes I had made. The second that I quit blaming other people and began to look inwardly to, okay, what mistakes did I make that I can, that I can go back and, and start to mend? So for me, as I began to really focus on, okay, I got to flood my mind. Once I took my ownership, next step was I had to flood my mind with positive thinking. I had to get back to a place where I just got inspired again. I got back to a place where I was, I was listening more than I was talking. And so as I began to do that, I began to focus on, okay, what were some of the things as I saw this? I've always said, if you want to find and go back and have successes you've had in the past, go back to the last place you remember where you were inspired. So for me, that was, I backtracked back. Okay, well, what did I do when I first started and this first started taking off? I focused on helping other people. And I began to solve problems for other people instead of worrying about mine. And the second I did that, it was like it was a mind shift. All of a sudden now, as I woke up, I was looking for opportunity instead of looking for something to worry about. Now that began to change it. And then what I knew is, is that if I was going to come out of this, I needed to find somebody to coach me and mentor me in a way that could give me, that would have a better vision than I did. So I think it's critically important when you finally take ownership, you begin to flood your mind with positivity, find somebody that has been where you have been and is now where you want to be. Whatever it is when you're in that place, what can you do to fix the small thing, to get some momentum? As I began to get that momentum, then I got to a place where I just said, you know what, I got to change some things. I got to come back and I got to, I got to fix some things and really shore up the boat, so to speak, so we don't keep having leaks. So I began to really focus on those things. And then ultimately, again, I had to stay focused on other people. The second that I get shifted where I start worrying about myself, things get out of line for me. So I really had to focus on who had, who needs what I have. And as I found those people, that's when I began to walk in. 
So, Jimmy, that there's I feel like you have so much insight on on how you made it happen, how you were successful. But I, I'm really interested in in the decision to make a change. Right. Everybody I, I used to think growing up that successful people were successful people and unsuccessful people were unsuccessful people. And those two groups stayed completely divided for their entire lives. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that those people, there's a Venn diagram there. And, and people overlap into both categories, sometimes more than once in their life. But, but what is it that causes people to not make a change? Because there are so many people that have the opportunity or have the moment where they've, they've known they need to make a change and they don't. Yeah, I mean, Sanger, the biggest thing for me is is that I sat in it for three years, so it's not like I had it figured out. I mean, I you know, I think I think everybody at some point, I, you know, it came to me when I finally uh, believed that there was something more for me. Um, it came to me when I began to see that my wife deserved better. Um, so I think the biggest thing is is I think the majority of people that stay in it um, are people that are still focused on woe is me. Um, they're still focused on the things and the ad and the things that they feel like they can't control versus the things that they can control. Yeah. So when I got to the point where I was like, well, I'm not going to hit this big deal and just everything's going to be better. I'm going to take a daily step and try to get better every day. And instead of trying to hit home runs, I'm going to start hitting singles. And I think most people, they sit there and they're waiting on the winning lottery ticket to get them out of there instead of focusing on the little thing that they can fix today that takes part of the problem, get some momentum. Sure. Does that make sense, Sanger? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're not going to get out of bankruptcy over a weekend. You're not going to lose 100 pounds <laughs> on Tuesday night, for sure. But when, when you talk about the, the people getting stuck in the woe is me, I see that so much. And I feel like it, it's, you know, you, you said it in your book, those negative thoughts are, are a cancer. I mean, I think that that attitude gives a lot of, or keeps people there. But, but what do you what do you think it was for you that caused you to be able to leave that attitude behind? Yeah. So I will say also that one of the things that I've always found is that growth and comfort cannot coexist, um, and it's so easy to get comfortable in um, feeling bad. There used to be this, you know, when you grew up on the dirt road I grew up on, they used to have this saying that, um, you know, there was, if there's a dog sitting on the porch and it's just whining because it's laying on a nail, someone says, well, why is that dog not get up and get away from that nail? Well, it doesn't hurt enough. Um, I think it's almost like we've got to get to a point where the, the pain to stay in what we're in it has to be overcome with pain of, um, of of going forward. We used to have this where where we are, this this place called Crab Island, which when I was growing up, you know, now it's this big party place. Well, when I grew up, the reason why they called it Crab Island was because it was a shallow area where these blue crabs were everywhere. And as a kid, my dad would take, we'd take a boat and we would drift across there. And as the shadow hit, the crabs would run away. We would just and he would just say, there's one. And the boys, we would jump out. And we would lift these crabs. And we put them in this big old wash tub that we floated behind the boat. Um, and as we filled that wash tub up with all of these things, um, one day I was there. And we had them filled up to the top. And I was like, do we have a cover for this? You know, all, the, all these crabs got to do is just go to the side and fall out. I mean, there's to safety. And he's like, no, son, just watch them for a minute. And I watched one of them, I guess, just finally gets to the point. He's just like, well, I'm getting out of here. This is crazy. I'm just going to crawl over to the side. I'm safe. As he begins to crawl over and fall over, one of the other crabs just grabs him by the leg and pulls him back in the mess. Yeah. And he's like fighting like crazy, this crab is. And all of a sudden, I kind of watch this. We go up home and we boil these crabs. And literally, if you ever have noticed, when you, if you've done a crab boil, they literally are clamped on each other until death. 
to, I mean, when, and so it's one of these things where all of a sudden I looked around me and I had all these crowds around me that were just so, it made them feel comfortable that they didn't have to do anything and they could stay in their comfortable zone as long as they kept me there. And it was like they just, if I tried to get out of this, the group I was around actually was pulling me back into it because it helped them feel better about their situation. They didn't want to have that discomfort of, that growth has. Um, and so as I began to They don't to want to know it, it's possible either. No, they don't. Because because in reality, when you're in the mess, if you see somebody that's doing well, the natural progression and natural thought process is mm -hmm. that, well, they've got it better than me. You know, there's excuses or whatever rather than. And so when that shift comes and you begin to get inspired by those people, you get around those people. That was why having that mentor was so critically important for me. That was critically important for me is to have somebody that could really call me out when I was heading the wrong direction, give me the instruction when I needed to go a different direction, and really give me that positive influence that I didn't have with the people I had around me before. I, th I think, you know, so one of the things that you you mentioned in the book that you you, you talked about just now is, is having a mentor is is helpful. I think also there's that point about being a mentor. It's, it's that relationship because as you take on somebody and say, I'm going to guide you, there's that sense of responsibility where you start to evaluate your decisions. Uh, when I was uh, doing management training uh, years ago, one of the things that we would do is have people uh, observe other people's meetings. And what we found was that the people who were supposed to be instructing, supposed to be demonstrating, actually did better. They stuck to the process better. They stuck to the scripting and the methodology. Uh, they, they did the follow-up. And then they had this point where they would come back and then sort of debrief the meeting afterwards. None of that stuff was happening when they were flying solo because nobody knew what they were doing. There was, you know, no, no risk. No, nobody was going to see. And so it really causes you, even if you're the mentor, to step up your game. <laughs> no, so it's, it's important. <laughs> it, it is. And Sean, you know what I've always said is, is that I need to have two different, I need to have people in my life that know me, K-N-O-W me, they know me well enough to that I allow them to N-O me, know me. I want people that know me well enough to know me. Because if you've got that ability, you know, that's the problem is, is left alone, I'll promise you we're going to go in a direction that becomes at some point unhealthy. But to have those people around us that have the ability to understand who we are, our strengths, our weaknesses, um, and we trust enough. That was the biggest thing. I, I would say this, I, in order, now we're at a place now where we're at this place, at least in the real estate business right now, we're literally at a place where we're having this enormous, um, really the first time since that last upturn. I'll tell you what I did, Sean, and this is something I would say to that person that's been out there that's been in a struggle before, but is doing really well now, is be wary. Uh, you know, I mean, and so what I'm doing right now, really trying to focus on is I had the mentor that walked me out of everything back then. I hadn't sat down with him in years. I called him about three or four weeks ago and I said, oh, wow. hey, I'd like to come see you. And he said, okay, great. You know, is there anything particular? I said, yeah, I got something I just want to ask you. And I sat down with him and I said, I said, buddy, let me just ask you this. What is it that I'm missing? Where is my blind spot? I don't want to let the same snake bite me twice. I want to literally make sure that this time that I value everything and that I, I'm a good steward of what's been given to me influence-wise, affluence-wise, every area of my life-wise, so that I don't have these blind spots. And I think that's critically important. A lot of times we're like, oh, well, I'm good now. 
No, that's when you need it the most. Because I'll promise you, if you don't get some guidance and a mentor and a friend that's there that can know you and then has the ability to know you, sooner or later, you're going to run it the wrong, too far in one direction. All right, the place of comfort is when you need the most evaluation. Exactly, Sanger. Exactly. I had a, uh, I'm in a business group where we, we talk with a group of guys and uh, the one of the things we do early on is to go around and sort of talk about what's happened in the last month. And a lot of times people are sharing some really important things, some real struggles either in their, in their business or in their personal life or, you know, with employees or, you know, th those types of things. And uh, we get around to this one guy and he goes, I just, I don't have anything. You know, I got, I got nothing. And I said, well, that's, that's your problem then. <laughs> I, guess right. you just, I said, you just identified what your problem is, is that you don't think you have any problems. <laughs> he goes, what do you mean? I said, you need, you've got several problems. You, you just, you're just not aware of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Sean, you know what? That's, that's that old saying, you know, um, that, you know, I've kind of flipped it to my, you know, the old saying is um, that pride comes before the fall. I'll say this in my life, humbleness has come before the rise every single time. So as I've gotten to a level where I'm comfortable to me personally, that's the time that I need to humble myself even more. Come under someone else that's a mentor or in a group like you're talking about where there's a, a comfort level to be real. Um, and every single time that I've done that, you know, I think there's levels to everything. I mean, I don't think there is any point in our life where we're like, this is it. I made it. I, I think if you ever get to that point, watch out, you know, because things can change so quick. But humbling ourselves and coming into a place where we've got some people in our lives that, you know, that we trust enough to be real with is so critically important to keep that balance and keep moving forward. When it comes to having a mentor, you know, I, 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 I say Sean is the greatest mentor I could have ever had. Cause like you growing up in real estate, you know, I grew up in this industry. I grew up in financial planning. Like I, I don't, I, I couldn't go into real estate. I, I had to do this. Right. But a lot of guys uh, grow up learning how to work on cars. Uh, I didn't do that. I grew up learning how to do this. But when it comes to finding a mentor for those that aren't blessed to know one by dint of birth, how do you decide who's, who's number one, who is worth following? And then number two, how do you become, how do you decide to become the person that is worth leading? Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, and let me just second what you just said, Senator. Um, uh, I don't think you could have a better mentor than John either. I mean, I don't know that you oh, could. I mean, no, I mean, that's, I'm, I'm serious. I mean, every single time I'm around him, I feel I feel inspired and I feel like I've left that conversation smarter than when I got there. So but listen, you know, there's a lot of us that didn't have that. You know what I mean? And so consequently, how do you find that right person? First thing I would say is, is don't do it based on one area of their life. Uh, you know, it, uh, you don't have, there is an abundance of people that I could have followed in real estate that, that were on their third marriage. There was an abundance of people that I could have followed that were really good at real estate, but really didn't have any relationships with friends, mm -hmm. you know, and there was no balance, mm -hmm. you know? And so I, I would say the first thing is, is find someone that has the life that you're looking for, not the business you're looking for. And I'll tell you what else, uh, Sanger, a lot of times it's, um, you know, there's this Chinese proverb that when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Um, I think it's you positioning yourself um, to being someone that, and a, that a mentor wants understands that their time will be valuable. You know, there are a lot of people that come to me that they're like, hey, can you show me how to do this? Can you teach me how to do this? Can you do that? And I, and, and it's just like, yeah, it's, there's no depth to that. And maybe it's not someone, I only have so much time. 
Um, Sean Hanley has so much time. You only have so much time. So who am I going to invest in? Mm -hmm. And because, listen, what's going to happen, we've only got so much. I've always said I needed that mentor for me, and I had to have them, if you view it almost like a bucket, I had them to pour so much into me that my bucket was so full that out of the overflow, I could then invest in others. If I'm trying to pour into somebody else and I'm empty, it's a train wreck for them and me. But now to see somebody that I see is full and that I'm being poured on out of their abundance of people feeding into them and then into the other. So as you begin to search for that, I would say this, find someone that you just respect their life. Find someone that has balance. Find someone that, and now listen, it's important. If you're looking for a business mentor to find someone that's successful, I never wanted to, and I wanted to make sure I had one thing. I didn't want somebody that was going to teach me out of theory. I wanted somebody that would teach me out of experience. Now, listen, I'm not saying that because I've been in real estate 27 years, I got all the right answers, but I probably have stumbled enough times that I can help other agents, for instance, I'm going to use that as an example, I can help them not stumble in some of the ways that I did. The wisdom that I have is because of the time that I've been in it. I would say, you know, to find someone, you know, this is, we live in the world where like, you know, you've got 23 year olds on, on LinkedIn, you know, that are calling themselves life coaches. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You know what I mean? What are you going to teach me how to go to college? I already been, you know? I mean, so it's a time where if you're looking for someone, find someone that's done what you want to do. And not just one thing you wanted to do, someone that has the complete package, whatever that is for you, financially, business, relationally, spiritually, whatever it is for you, define that for you. And I believe with all my heart, the second, you know, it's almost like when we start shift our focus to something, be careful what you ask for. You know, if you're sitting there and you're like, wow, I wish I could find a mentor, you better be ready. Because typically when you shift that little bit of focus, a lot of times they've been there the whole time. But that person will be right there when you're ready for it. I think you're absolutely right. That the, you know, the person with the experience, uh, you know, is more valuable to have than the person with the knowledge, right? You know, the person who's actually been there than the person who's just got the theory. But I think, you know, second to your point about finding somebody who, or becoming somebody who's worthy to be mentored. Uh, you know, I had an experience years ago, I was mentoring this person and, and we would, we would meet and you know, asked me to meet. And so I, I spent some time with them and, what I was finding is that they weren't actually implementing the things we were talking about. Uh, you know, and I was doing some research for them to, you know, come up with ideas and, you know, you could do this. There's around marketing and building their business. And I, and I finally had to tell them, I, I said, I can't care more about your business than you do. You know, I can't, can't keep yeah. up. You're not going to do these things. You know, I was, uh, Sometimes there are some people that I'd love to say that to. I heard an advisor say in a conference, you can't care about your client's money more than them. You can't, if you're calling somebody and and they, and you got to pound and pound and pound for them to pick up because you need to make a change with their investments. You can't get them to get back to you. You just need to stop working with them. Oh, yeah. but they make, I make this much money. On, ah, it doesn't matter. Stop working with them. Same thing. I, I read um, this book called leadership by John Maxwell. Uh, I don't know if you've read it. It's a great book, but he talks about, you know, at your temptation as a leader is to pour into everyone on the team, right? is to pour into everyone and pull everyone along. You can't do that. All you can do is lead the people who who will be led, lead the people who are doing the things that you that you are telling them, who are implementing the things that you are suggesting, and forget the other. All right. 
So Sanger, this brings us back to the point, you know, how do you, how do you find the right mentor? I think you've almost got to reverse it. I'm going to use an example of, um, you know, why I believe it's so critically important to have goals. So my wife, she gets out of college. She's, um, she's thinking about the husband she wants. She literally took and wrote two pages out, you know, um, you know, someone that's funny, someone that's driven, someone that's focused on kids, someone that's all these things. And, um, you know, when you write those things out, I mean, Come on, man. Look, I mean, her dreams came true. I'm just kidding. No, but let me, let me say this. I will say this, what happened for me. I'm going to flip it now, okay? When I got to that point that I wanted to find um, my wife, um, and I'm going to use that as an example, and I think you can use it as a mentor. What I had to do is, is I had to take a deep dive and look at myself in a way that I was like, well, wait a minute. Everything that I'm wanting to attract, I'm not going to attract that with who I am now. So I mm -hmm. think you almost have to roll reverse it. So if I'm looking for the best mentor possible, how can, what does the best mentee look like? Yeah. You know, what areas of my life do I need to change? Do I need to become somebody that works a little harder? Do I need to become somebody that is um, more, is, is quicker to take action? Do I need to become somebody that is more service oriented or whatever it is, somebody that knows the business that I'm in more, whatever it is where all of a sudden I'll guarantee you if somebody came and sat with Sean right now and they said, Sean, I would love to see if I could spend some time with you. Here's what I've been trying to do to prepare myself for this. I'm looking for someone like you. Could you spend some time with me? I'll guarantee you if then Sean meets them the first time and they come back and he says, um, I asked you to do this. Did you do it? And they say, yeah, I did that and this. All of a sudden, I promise you, Sean's schedule is going to start opening up and giving him some more time. Mm -hmm. Looking as a mentee, and listen, we're all mentees if we're doing this right. It's, there's no point in our lives where we should not have somebody that's pouring into us. Yeah. That How do we become the thing that attracts the mentor that we want? What are the characteristics that we need to develop and need to grow into to be able to find that person? So it's so important. I, I wish I had learned that earlier uh, in life. You know, I when whenever I heard that, um, as I was listening to the book, I go, oh, okay. I've got to, I thought about that from the flip side too, just like you said. Well, well what, not only how I should only lead people that are worth it, but God, I want to be led. I, I want to be mentored. Um, I think that that's perfect. You know, a lot of people for the exact same thought process as wallowing in our own, you know, self-pity parties is that's, it's so hard to do. Did you find anything in your own thought process and your own decision process that made it easier to make that shift? Because looking inward is not something that's fun or something that you necessarily want to do. And it's not intuitive. Yeah. Singer, the biggest thing I did is I began to focus on things I was thankful for instead of things I was worried about. Still to this day, I try to do this every morning. Um, so I made the decision that I knew that when I woke up, I wanted to set the tone for my day. I wanted to set, I wanted to take control of my thoughts instead of waking up and being, finding something to worry about or think about the thing, the appointment I dreaded. And, you know, we all got some of those appointments, mm -hmm. right? So I wanted to focus on the things I was thankful for. So literally what I try to do is, is when I get out of the bed in the morning, my foot first foot hit the floor, I say, thank. And then I say, you on the next step. And I say, thank you. Every step I take, I try to walk it out mentally in my head every day. I try to start my day with saying, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I literally try to then the first thoughts before I flip on and check my email, flip on and check the news, God forbid, you know, in these days, 
I want to literally in my mind think about the things I'm thankful for. Thankful for the opportunity today. Thankful for, in reality, the conversation we're having right now that maybe the struggle I went through is not in vain. Maybe there's somebody hearing this that this is what jars them into taking action to move in the direction mm -hmm. they need to go. Those are the things. When I begin to focus on the things I wanted to be thankful for right out of the gate, it's just like what we were talking about earlier where when you're focusing on worry, you find more worry. As I began to focus on things I was thankful for, leading off with gratitude, as the day went on, all of a sudden it was like it was like all of a sudden I, my whole focus changed, and all of a sudden my eyes were open. I was like, "Wow, that's pretty awesome that that employee treats me that way. Wow, that's pretty awesome that my wife, you know, put put a put my lunch on the table for me. You know, what is it? You know, those things that we just fly by, and all of a sudden now." It builds. And when you're talking about things, you know, the law of inertia says that in order for things to change, something has to come in and just change the direction of everything. So if you're in a funk or you're in those things, for me, what I had to do is I had to take control and jar it every morning with thankfulness. I had to overcome the worry and the fear by focusing on thankfulness. And as I began to do that, listen, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, there's, again, it goes back to it takes time. That first day, it felt so stupid walking out. Thank you. Thank you. But what about this? Thank, well, don't think about that. Thank you. All of a sudden, though, about three weeks in, all of a sudden I wake up and I, I literally, it was like I just woke up and all of a sudden I was like, wow, I just didn't even think about anything that I'm worried about today in that first 20 minutes. Wow. I, I feel a little better about myself. Wow. And then the day just begins to grow from that. So, yeah, I think you've literally got to find something you do to jar your system, jar your mentality, and take control of those thoughts. And once you – we see things, in my opinion. I always see things up here before I see it out there. Mm -hmm. So what is it that I want to see out here and how I started in here, especially the first thing in the morning? Wow, you know, I could listen to and talk with Jimmy all day. He is one of the masters in the business, just one of the one of the best at his craft. Next time we talk, we've decided to break this episode up into two parts, and we're going to talk to Jimmy about buying a second home or investment property. He deals in this market in Florida, and it is one of the top markets for this type of uh, purchase. And so we're going to talk about the decision-making that goes into buying a second home, buying an investment property. So if you've ever thought about that, you don't want to miss this episode. Also, if you enjoyed this, and I hope you did, go ahead and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. It helps people find us, and we want to get our message out there around decision-making. Uh, like us on social media, Facebook, Instagram. We look forward to talking with you next time. Talk to you soon. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Singer Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers who are not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their own opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.